Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. This is the first part of our interview with Craig Jeffery from Strategic Treasurer, where we first focus on the payment landscape in the United States of America. Craig founded Strategic Treasurer in 2004 and is the managing partner of the firm. He also is a publisher for CTM's file, a treasury news company. Strategic Treasurer does extensive advisory work and global research in the field of treasury. And last but not least, Craig hosts the Treasury Update podcast and the Open Treasury podcast. He is a fellow podcaster and therefore you will of course find the links to the two podcasts in the description, but you can also find them on your favorite podcast app. In the episode of today, expect to learn what are the type of payments that we can find in the United States, what do we mean with payment rails? What are the specificities of the US when it comes to payments? Um, for instance, what are SEHs, wires, and much, much more. Craig is impressive, to say the least. His knowledge around payment is something, and he's quite used to the podcast format with his own podcast. So we enjoyed the conversation a lot with Sam. And we hope you will enjoy it as well. If that is the case, why not leaving us a review on your favorite podcast app? It helps us a lot, allow us to interview more and more amazing people like Craig and makes Sam and I very happy indeed. With all that being said, please welcome Craig Jeffrey. So, Craig, um, Guillaume's taken us through in the past um, this whole payments journey where we've talked about um, checks, cash, debit cards, you know, these kind of all these different mechanisms of making payments um, and the pros and cons of each. But we haven't really gone too much into the specifics of what kind of payments you would find in the U.S. So could you take us through overall what kind of payments you find in the U.S. and, and maybe what's unique about it? Sure. Yeah. So. When, when I think about payments, I break them out to the, you know, what individuals use or the, the business to consumer or consumer to consumer. But also most of, most of our work in the consulting world is with to business payments. Most of those are, are business oriented payments. So when we look at, you know, checks are still a big issue. I know, you know, parts of the world look and say, U.S. is such a high tech country. Why do you sell out checks? Well, those are items that start off as paper. They never make it sweat. They never make their way physically to the originating bank uh, in a paper form. But checks are a big one. Then we have different types of low value payments. Um, these tend to be like card payments, um, ACH, which is a an electronic fund transfer. It's a digital starts off as a digital transfer. And then as we look at high value transfer, there's several types of wire types of payments. On the consumer side, we have different services um, like PayPal, Excel. Um, there's a, a huge number of payment methods. We can transfer money between family members or friends. If you go out to a meal and someone pays for it, you can just zip the money instantaneously. And so those are, um, those are really common. So are the different wallets that are usually, usually and typically stored on your phones. But um, from a corporate standpoint, it's mostly check, card, low value and high value payments. And there's a, there's a range of offerings of those services within that, uh, within that setup. Um, you know, you know, different types of card payments, purchasing card, virtual cards, um, ghost cards, um, 
on the the faster payment side or the the more rapid payment side, we have different types of ACH. Um, we have a what's called real-time payments and fed now just faster payment schemes and i you know just quicker payment schemes maybe is the better term that that doesn't infringe on uh, certain uh, naming conventions <laughs> so there's a lot of terms and um, also thanks a lot craig I, i would like to dig a little bit into some of the things you you mentioned first of all to, to begin with so we had a whole episode a series of episodes actually on checks why do people keep using them in the us then if they are even dematerialized at certain points in like the payment scheme, because right, once you deposit your check at the bank, the bank will not send the check physically to the other bank to clear it and so on. It will more be done digitally. But so why do people keep on using them? I hear the jealousy in your voice. Just because <laughs> <laughs> that's spots on. Well, well, you know, it's, it's, uh, I used to be really embarrassed. Now I'm just sort of embarrassed, but that it is, it is moving. We, we're in an era of less and less checks every year and they, they do get, dematerialized. Um, you know, back in 2001, there was this huge push um, because checks used to, you would write them and they would be deposited at the, you know, the pays bank and they would move physically, physically move yeah. paper all the way to their bank. And if you're old enough, like I am, you used to get the physical checks back in an envelope at the end of the month, like paper sent all over the country would find its go. way back to you. Which is, which is amazing. That's where I, I comment about the jealousy, like who can handle paper like that in the <laughs> volumes? Well, somewhere right around the turn of the century, it changed and check 21 and image presentment is like, once it goes, you know, as soon as someone gets it in a lockbox, you know, at a bank or they receive it, they snap a picture with their phone and it converts it to an image. And the image is what travels all the way through. It converts it to digital information and settle. So it dematerializes it as quickly as possible. Why is it done that way? We got really efficient at moving paper around. And if you mm -hmm. saw how that stuff was processed, you'd say, you know, if you look at a lockbox, you say, wow, that's really fast. Those paper, the paper is about to burst into flames, how quickly they move it on machines. But that's, that's the limitation of how much you use paper. Paper is terrible. You know, some people like it because every system was set up to issue it. It's simple. One of the nice things was once we hit COVID, that was one of the nice benefits of COVID was that people like, oh, nobody wants to print checks or stick them in the mail. Nobody can receive them. And so there was a big push towards electronic. Those things have helped. So we are an era of less checks. I don't know why we still use them. If my kids ever have to write a check, they're like, why do I have to write a check? Dad, can you write a check? And I go, I have to find my checkbook because I don't write checks, but it's, it's, it's diminishing, but it's just what we've done. Yeah. I guess and it's and it's disappearing. Fair, it's embedded in the in the culture and the usages. But okay, there is a shift towards more electronic um, way of making payments. Another term you mentioned was low value payments, and um, quickly after you mentioned high value payment. Can you just quickly explain us what are those and the difference between the two? Yeah, so you know it depends on you know what country in or even sometimes what region how you define those, and so you know I find the description of low value payments and high value payments more common globally than wire and EFT. Um, you know, in the US, we have a wire transfer system. These are high value payments or real-time gross settlement systems. So high value payments are, you know, they're always revocable. They usually settle through a central bank system. Um, they're, and they're, they're usually large sums, lower volume, but high value. And so depending on what, what, 
country you're in and what payment system you're used to, they're higher value. Low value payments, you know, in the US, people think of direct deposit. When you get paid, it's a lower value payment. If you have, you know, your accounts debited for utilities, those are low value payments. Those are primarily automated clearinghouse payments or ACH in the US. Mm. And uh, so those are low value payments. So part of our consulting practice we do, we help companies implement and connect. And do you need high value or low value? How, how timely does it have to be? What's the size? What's the requirements for revocability? Those are the two, probably the biggest deciding factors between high value and low value. Okay. So there is low value and it will be treated in a certain amount of time and high value will be like bigger amounts. Treated urgent shortly. payments. Again, SWIFT, they call them urgent payments. Oh, okay. And then non-urgent payments is like, depending on which, which scheme you come from, if you're like, hey, yeah. SWIFT, it's urgent, non-urgent. If you look at different banking systems, it's high value, low value. Mm. Uh, if you're in the US, it's you know wire and ACH typically. Awesome. So there's not like a dollar value drawing the line between those two? It's really just like the type of payment? Correct. There, there, are, there are limits on the lower value payment systems, depending mm. on which one it is. So there are some limitations. So if you wanted to, if you wanted to send $500 million US, you can't use a single ACH to do it because the limit is one cent below $100 million. And it's really driven by how many fields exist in the record. So you can send $99,999,999 million and 99 cents via an ACH. If you want to send more than that, you have to send two ACHs because mm -hmm. the, the field size only contains that much, whereas wires, you can do more. Some of the other lower value payments have limits like a million, um, half a million. So, I hope no one's build, utilities bill is that high. So. <laughs> it better not be, right? <laughs> Nowadays. Um, so, so bringing that to corporate treasury then, Craig, what are the pros and cons of those and which ones would corporate treasures in a, in a corporate fashion more move towards and be relevant to them? Yeah, historically, it's been, it's been heavily ACH um, and wire. Um, so wire is, we need, we need irrevocability. Once we send it, we want to make sure it's, it's good funds on the other side. There's no way to pull it back through the payment system. You'd have to use the legal system if there was some type of error or some type of issue. You're doing a closing on you know, real estate or you're buying a business. Everyone wants a irrevocable type transfer. More expensive, a little faster. If the lawyers are sitting in a room, you want that to go quickly. Um, but it's, it's definitely more affordable, less costly for the transaction if you use something like an ACH. So those are the, those are the two big ones for using traditional payment rails. Now there's, there's a lot of card use. Uh, there's some newer payment rails as well that are having a, a significant influence, but the biggest ones are ACH, wire, and certain types of card, like purchasing card or virtual card to handle some of the, the AP activity. Could you define what ACH is for the non-experienced non treasurer? What does that stand for? Well, it stands for automated clearinghouse. And um, yeah, maybe maybe a little bit of background. So the, the U.S. The central bank is the Fed. I think most people here, the Fed is yeah. the, you know, that's, you, you may not know every single bank's, every single country's central bank, but the Fed is 
um, a behemoth in, in what it does. And so central banks oftentimes act as clearing for payments. And you know the National Automated Clearinghouse Association or the ACH Network, the Automated Clearinghouse Network, handles these low-value payments. Um, so it, it's you know automated clearinghouse, a clearinghouse so that you know it's a hub. You send payments in there as a bank, and they send payments out. There's a a body of rules, you know, call you know the the NACHA rules, and there's the ACH network that handles the the movement of value transfer. Those settle to the different accounts on the other side. I'm super interested into digging into what ACH is, but you also mentioned wire, real time payment. So those are instruments that I would like to break down. But before before this, and maybe staying a little bit high level. There is a term that I keep on hearing, which is payment rails. Can you can you break it down and explain us what it is? It's a visual image, you know, a material image of a digital transaction, right? So uh, rails that you have trains run on. So how do you settle a wire payment? Well, maybe you're using the Fed wire system or you're using chips. How do you settle a low value payment like ACH? You use, you know, use the, the clearinghouse rail. How do you... How do you settle your cards? Well, you use the card network. It's a card network rail. So it's just a maybe a more common or vernacular type term that lets you say, oh, here's the channel we're using to pass these on or the rail. It's a hipster thing. Use it and you'll be hip. <laughs> okay. So to make the link with an episode we, uh, where we broke down card payments and card payment networks. This will be one rail. The one you just explained, the automated clearinghouse will be another one. Yes. This is what allows the payment to be settled. So the transaction to be effectively happening with the transfer of the money arriving on the account of the beneficiary. That will be the, the payment trail. Yes. And to go back to the US then, what are the, the most popular payment trails in the US? And since you, you mentioned both, for like the individuals, as an individual, what do I use most commonly or what is my bank using to process my transactions? And then from a corporate treasury standpoint, what are the payment rates that we would then prefer? Well, on the individual standpoint, um, you know, probably depends on your age cohort, but um, the card, <laughs> the card network, um, the ACH, uh, the ACH rail, those are, those are really popular ones when I'm paying people personally. Um, it's sell, PayPal. What's the other payment trail, the, the rival of PayPal? Uh, one of them is Venmo. There's a, there's a huge number of different payment applications, but Venmo and Zelle and, you know, using PayPal. So individual transfers, um, you know, those are, those are ones people use Venmo and, and Zelle are really, really popular. Zelle is, Zelle is associated with your banking information. So money comes in and out of your bank account. The bank sponsors the activity, and so it's 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 easy to use and see. When you use other ones like like Venmo, there's a separate you know store of value. You store money yeah. with Venmo, for example. So uh, there's just a couple different methods. Or Ven Venmo has long been very popular. Zelle has uh, grown extraordinarily fast, and I I believe it's overtaken Venmo on the consumer side. But that's not that's certainly not an area of expertise of mine. But um, Okay. Yeah, the bank supports proved invaluable for their activities. Okay, so that's that would be for the individuals along with the Mastercard, Visa. I would I would suppose in the in the U.S. American Express as well. 
if we look more uh, on the corporate treasury side, what are the preferred payment trails um, usage? Uh, the biggest ones are um, ACH is the the most common. Beside besides checks, I mean checks are still a, a dominant force even on the corporate side that they're, they're diminishing. And you know ACH wire transfers are still popular for large payments, but they're they're very low volume. Um, certain types of card transactions like virtual cards, um, purchasing cards, specialized cards that attack a, a whole section of the economy are, are big ones. The use of some other payments like, you know, RTP and same day ACH are used. They're more specific, you know, some insurance companies focus on them or when people need to pay payroll very quickly, they'll use same day ACH or RTP, you know, in increasing measure, but those are still very small by, uh, by volume and, and values uh, standard today. Mm. So this these payments that you mentioned earlier, the high value payments, they they will be urgent versus non-urgent. But you can have an urgent payment that is very low value as well, right? In, in and in terms of amount, like I want, I don't know, payroll for instance for a small company, I still want it to be delivered on the very same day to my employees. I will use an urgent payment or a high value one, even if the amount is low. Or am I mixing up stuff here? Uh, yeah, that would be that would be mixing a few things. So so if we're using the term urgent. Well, at least how I'm thinking of it. So if we're using the term urgent payments and non-urgent payments, I'm going to be thinking of the SWIFT definitions. You know, when you send messages there, I'm going to think, okay, it's it's urgent or non-urgent because SWIFT has to take messages for everything that eventually their payment instructions, the actual settlement, whatever the rail is, is going to be urgent or non-urgent. Like in the US, it'll be wire or ACH, for example. So if you need to pay someone payroll today, and you were really late, you might use a wire, but you might use the same day ACH or a real-time payment, for example. Makes a lot of sense. Okay, and to, to wrap up on this uh, on this corporate treasury aspects, uh, no no usage of uh, blockchain payments so far in, uh, in the US that you have seen, or is it is it a technology that is not yet there? Well, you know, there are, there are a few supply chain vendors that use activity related to blockchain, but there's not, there's not, uh, like this is not, uh, an adopted method of using blockchain for, uh, for settlement. Is there a specific limitation on blockchain? That's, I mean, it was all the buzz for such a long time. It was going to revolutionize payments and, and it was going to, uh, eliminate counterparty risk and whatnot. Um. What do you see as like the limiting factor of blockchain why it hasn't taken over by storm as it was meant to? Well, I, th I think the, um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the focus and attention has been on some of these newer payment rails, faster payment rails that are, that tend to be lower, lower value. And so, um, but still, if you look at same day ACH, you can send a million dollars. Um, RTP, their limits increased also to about a million dollars. So there's, there's some, like RTP is a new payment rail, same day ACH is using an old payment rail that you send it in the same format, you just have a different settlement date. And so instead of batch overnight for regular ACH, it was, it was a batch system, like all the payments go, you send it today, it settles tomorrow, they just process it in batch, a very efficient method of processing. And then the settlement occurs the next day. And so they've, they've retooled that network to say, now there's, you know, there was two, then three and four windows where you can send it 
and there's just faster windows where it can make those funds available, you know, on the same day. Um, so basically like four overnights, if you will. And so there's uh, there's some rules for, for that that make it work. So that's a, there's been a lot of focus and growth in there. Banks and, and corporations are spending more time in there. On the blockchain side for, you know, having a, you know, this idea of there's a, uh, there's a distributed ledger where you can track items. That's really great for, you know, documentary collections or information like, I'm trading, I want to make sure everyone has the right information, a, a network view of things. That's where those things will will grow and be handled more effectively. So taking steps in those directions, corporations are looking at them. I would say it's still early days, um, really early days for that. So it's not like there's a, there's hatred of it or people are against it, but it's, you know, both parties have to be developed in those areas. I think there's a lot of value in you know, the concept of this distributed ledger as opposed to having, you know, you always have to go to banks to do this and it's based on paper processes. Now it's it's based digitally that we can manage it. So you know, it, it takes a while to change this, uh, change the tech that we use to, to replace um, older um, historical, slower methods with, with better, newer methods, right? The only, the only corporate treasury area um, that I can think of that is starting to use blockchain or at least where we see a very useful uh, usage is trade finance. As you mentioned, it's for very much like documentary purposes and there it makes a lot of sense, but we have yet to find a, a guest to talk, us, uh, to, talk to us about this. 